Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Legal Helm Podcast, where we talk all things legal plus tech. On today's show, our host, Bim Dave, welcomes legal tech pioneer Alan Rich. Alan founded Elite Information Group, now part of Thomson Reuters, and he oversaw Elite's growth into the legal industry standard that it is today. He then went on to co-found Chrome River, which started a revolution in expense reporting that's used by many Fortune 1000 companies. He's currently the CEO of Y Meadows, which is poised to do the same for NLP-powered customer service automation. Join Bim and Alan as they discuss the past, present, and future of enterprise software, especially as it relates to the legal industry and why firms should embrace the AI and NLP wave that is coming. And now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm delighted to be talking with Alan Rich, CEO at Y Meadows. So for those of you that don't know, Alan has made some extremely significant contributions to the legal technology landscape over the last few years, notably navigating elite information systems as it was then known to become a market leader in the legal space with its elite enterprise product. He then went on to create Chrome River, an expense management solution, which has been a huge success with over a thousand customers globally. And today he's here to talk to us about his new venture, Y Meadows, meant to kind of give us a bit of history about himself. So. Alan, firstly, thank you very much for joining us today on the Legal Helm podcast. It's really good to have you here. My pleasure to join you. I'd really like to start at the beginning of the journey from the Elite Information Systems days when you were CEO. Talk to me a little bit about your experience of when you came in at Elite Information Systems and you took it from being basically a product that was really focused on the North America region, but then really taking it globally over a number of years. I'd really be interested to learn about what your experience was like back then and how you approached and took it to become such a successful product. Yeah, thank you very much. Beginning of our journey at Elite was the vision to apply some of the latest open architecture technologies. Those days it was Unix and relational databases to the legal industry. I had two key partners. One was my father, who had been the original founder of Elite many, many years ago before we got into the software space. And the second was Enrico Lombardino, who kind of led the technical side of the business. And that was the beginning of the architecture of the product. We had a lot of success in the United States, as you pointed out. And then two of the early adopters in the UK were Alan and Overy, led by Ian Dinwiddie and Clyde Co., who had the vision to take what was a kind of heavily American product, you might say, focused and first bring it to the UK. Had a lot of the features to handle multiple currencies and value-added taxes and things that became you know necessary for an international product. And then from there, bring it to other parts of the world. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So what's really interesting about the journey that you've started on there was the focus on the customer, right? Because it kind of sounds like you were partnering quite closely with some initial early adopters to really gain the vision for the product. Would you say that that's the case? That's absolutely the case. And that's really my whole philosophy. Don't build software in the hope that somebody's going to use it. Build software that somebody's committed to help with the design requirements, give us early feedback. I think the whole software industry is focused around this sort of agile technology and, and the formulation of that philosophy. Maybe we didn't call it that in those days, but I really was a big believer in short cycles, rapid deliverables, getting the customer's feedback once they see the feature set. And that, that really helped us a lot. And 
certainly I was very grateful to uh, both of those organizations for the help they gave us. And if, if you could just cast your mind back to that period of your career, what would you say would be the standout moment for you in terms of the elite years in particular? Gosh, there were so many fantastic moments along that path. But, you know, I always look back at the customers that took a chance on us, that shared our vision and were willing to really bet the finances of their entire organization on our team. And the gratitude I had to those people who did it. I'll go back all the way to one of our very first customers was Cozen and O'Connor on a international scale or on a, at a large U.S. scale. And the chances they took going with us. And, I, you know, I think most of those firms are still using elite software many decades later. So it really paid out for both parties. That sort of partnership, you might say, with the leadership in the organizations who are willing to share a vision, that always stands out to me as really transcendental moments in the business. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, so obviously, for those that are listening that don't know, I was part of that elite journey in a small way as a support guy joining the elite European support team back in the early days of my career. And one of the things that I definitely picked up on in my time working on the support desk was that there was a big emphasis on customer satisfaction, making sure that we were doing what we needed to do to make sure that the customer had a product that worked for them to the point that you mentioned the likes of Enrico and co. And I still remember to this day where we would be working with customer go lives and we would be picking up the phone to Enrico who would be more than happy to jump on and solve customer problems there in the moment to make sure that they had a really good positive experience. And I think that's what led to the stickiness, right? You look at the, the market today and you look at some of those customers, like you say, that have been using these products for so many years successfully. And the reason is, is because of that focus and commitment to what the customer needed and to build a robust product from that perspective. I think some of those practices, like you say, rapidly putting out bug releases and things like that, that has become, again, the software industry standard, the regular in some companies, daily continuous delivery of, of software instead of just the annual release and just you know, live with these bugs for another year. We didn't believe in that. We really believed in getting software to the customers that solved their problems as fast as we could. And I, I think that philosophy also has, has taken the software industry now as a standard. Yeah, very, very good. So you then went on to Crow River as your next stage, from what I understand, which of course was a huge success. Well, I'll even go back to one more thing at Elite because I think it was also a transformational moment when that was really the decision to develop 3E. If I go back to the history of Elite, that took a lot of courage from the uh, top management, from investors, from everything else to say, hey, we had a fantastic working product with a very strong market position. Let's completely build from the ground up a new architecture, a new product that's going to take our customers forward for the next few decades. And they had the courage to do that and build a proper international platform. I'm proud of the fact that Elite still using that and our customers are still using that again a long time after I left. But the the architectural work that I was part of there and the software work is, I think, another transformational decision. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I think when you look at even the kind of legacy platforms that were built by you and the team back in the old days, they seem to be built on the premise of extendability being not necessarily a barrier, but really like an enablement feature, right? So every platform, whether it was Elite Character or Elite Enterprise, 
had the ability to be extended. And I think that's what made it right for customers because they were able to adapt it to their needs. And I think that vision that you guys had from a Elite 3 perspective was superb because when you look at the technology as it stands today, I mean, in fact, if you look at the market today, 3 still stands out as one of the most robust products in the market simply because of that extendability and the fact that it was re-architected from the ground up, obviously, to really be future-proof and think about some of the challenges that had, had been overcome as part of the enterprise experience, but really translating that into something that would be there for the future and not just limited to just the legal space, but also allow it to be extended to other areas as well, which I thought was really fantastic. I think, again, if I look back and, and say our practice that we believed in then has become the standard, and that is to say that other companies are not necessarily competitors, they're an ecosystem. And, you know, I think your career is a good example of that. The work you do with Elite Software isn't competing with Elite, it's enabling Elite. And that view that a major product can become a platform and the basis for a whole ecosystem around it, and that the people who are providing services and add-ons are helping each other. I think, again, today seems obvious, but at the time, I'd like to think it was forward thinking. Yeah, totally agree. And, and you're absolutely right. And that ecosystem is so vast, right? It goes across different continents and there is a following, right? That, that love the fact that they can extend the experience for their customers and extend the message of, you know, here's a great product, but let's not limit it to the box that it was built in and let's take it to new boundaries, push those boundaries as well beyond what was originally envisioned. So yeah, it, it's, it's really, really amazing to see that happen. Moving on from the elite world and just kind of going back to the next stage of the journey with Chrome River, which of course was a, a huge success and continues to be. When I think about that Chrome River experience, and I still remember the, the time when you had left Elite or Thompson Elite at that time, and thinking about what is the next step in your journey, because we were kind of fascinated with where you were going to go next. And then obviously Chrome River popped up and Really, from my perspective, at least it was a very innovative and bold decision to kind of take a product like that and bring it into a market, but also then take it to different verticals as well, which I thought was really interesting. So I'd love to hear a little bit about the process you went through to A, be so innovative at that time. How did you go through that validation process that this was a good product for this market and how you then take that to the kind of future scenario you were actually selling to outside of legal and doing fantastically well with that? So I think the start of the concept was I was familiar with a number of law firms that had tried to implement commercial expense reporting systems. In those days, there were a few of them out there and they tried to implement it. And I knew at least three or four of them that gave up after six months. And that was kind of the light bulb that law firms had requirements around expense reporting that was different than your normal commercial provider. And I don't think any of us in hindsight are surprised by that, but at the time it wasn't obvious. So we took advantage of our understanding that we had built up of all the years at, at Leet to understand just how client matters work, how routing works and the infrastructure of firms. And I could just give you one example that sticks out in my mind from all those years ago was expense reporting systems. All of them have an approval process and there might be multiple steps in the approval process. So let's say an associate has a expense report, it goes to the partner. The partner approves it, goes to accounting. Accounting sees that, you know, there's a problem with the receipt 
and sends it back to the associate to fix the problem. So in all the commercial systems, that would reset the routing and the routing would go back to the partner again for approval and then go back to accounting. But in the law firm culture, the partner might say, hey, I've already approved this thing. I don't want to see it again. And I don't want to be approving the same things because you happen to fix a receipt. So just that little annoyance, people approving the same things over and over again was enough to get people to just say, hey, this isn't usable in our environment. And that's one of many, many little things that made us understand that we could build something unique that would meet the requirements of law firms. The second thing is I'm a big believer that you really need to have some better technology than the incumbents. And we had the ability to use new technologies that made the browser experience as great as the desktop experience. And so you could give it to every admin, every lawyer, and they could have this really wonderful, fluid user experience. And that was kind of this notion that financial applications aren't necessarily just data entry applications that are going to be used in the back office and nobody cares how they look. It's things that should be beautiful, fun to use, delight the user and that the user is really every single person in the organization. And I think that philosophy, which today, again, with our focus on design throughout the industry has changed, but that time that was a big, big differentiator for us. Awesome. So when you first had the vision for that kind of product for this market, presumably you were sticking to what you know in terms of the legal space and kind of capturing that market. But then you took it to different verticals, right? So you did sell outside of legal as well. Just interested to know, at what point did you make that decision to take the product elsewhere? And were there any barriers that you had to jump through or jump across to be able to be successful in a different space? Yes, there were barriers. You know, we had been really successful in the legal market. And again, I might mention just for the historical record that we did that same thing where some big law firms took a chance on us. At the time, it was Jones Day, Paul Hastings, and Wild Gottschall each built the product with us. And those leaders of those organizations that had the vision to, again, take a chance made a huge difference to us. But eventually, the legal market is, at least in the large law firm market, is a relatively constrained market. And we had had a lot of success there. We're anxious to see could we take that success to other markets? And so I think we face two, I'd say, core challenges. One is that big law firms, while they're really known in our industry, aren't known by the general public. So then the brand name recognition of some of our really great customers didn't carry a lot of weight as we went into the cruel, cold outside world and had to reestablish sort of a, a new set of credentials. And I guess the second thing is, of course, when you hit new markets, you come across new requirements, new software engineering things. But we persisted. We had some outside investors who were patient and gave us financial resources. And the result was that at Chrome River, we were able to get great brand names. You know, we had Toyota and Liberty Mutual, eventually Exxon and, you know, all kinds of companies that did have great brand recognition and helped propel us forward. Awesome. What a great journey and story that must have been. So you're now at Y Meadows. And, and the first question I have to ask is why Y Meadows and what does the name mean? 
What does the name mean? This venture, I had the pleasure of working with my sons on it. I have two sons who are both software engineers and both of them joined the business. And we were thinking about what we might want to build. And we were on a backpacking trip in the Sierra Nevada mountains and ended up near a place called Y Meadows Reservoir, where a lot of the inspiration for our business ideas came from. So we uh, used a similar name and named it after that. So what's that dynamic like? Because so I have a brother who's also in the, the technology space and we often talk about similar kind of things like, you know, we should build this and we have these great ideas and stuff. What is the reality of that like? How does that dynamic work? So far for us, it's been a great dynamic. Both of them had great careers in software before joining us and a lot of experience. And they're both kind of technical, you might say. So we kind of all complement each other. Adam is an expert in, you might call it, enterprise software architecture. Jacob's an expert in machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence. And I'm on the you know finance and management side of it. So each of us, I think, has our space and it's been a real pleasure. We've built a really wonderful team of colleagues. Almost all of them are people we've worked with between the three of us at different points in our careers. And as a result, it's a lot of fun. Excellent. C can you talk a little bit about the problem that Y Meadows is solving for your customers? Yes. So we are an application we like to call robotic ticketing automation. So companies or organizations have incoming tickets. Ticket in our term is a case or a message. It could come from a customer. It could be from the HR side. It could be an internal request, but it's a written communication, an email, a message of some sort. And what we do is we're using the new artificial intelligence tools that have really changed dramatically over the last couple of years. And we're in a branch of artificial intelligence called natural language processing, NLP. We have specialized software that reads these incoming messages, understands what they're about. And then the robotic part about it is we try to answer the message or at least help the agent who's looking at it answer the message. So if I take an accounting example, you might have a customer saying, could you send me a copy of my bill? We should be able to read that message, understand it, go into the accounting system, get the PDF, create the message and either respond or put it into a queue so somebody could easily respond to it. So in organizations that, you know, are literally getting thousands, sometimes tens and tens of thousands of messages every month, we can make the user, the agent experience much more pleasant as well as the customer experience. Yeah, and it's, it sounds like a very current solution to an existing problem, but also like a very exacerbated problem with what's happened over the last couple of years with lots of people embracing the hybrid working model and just being able to support the workforce for a lot of companies has become more difficult. So I can see how that solution really helps in that case, because there's been a lot of pressure on IT departments and any kind of support function within a firm, right, to go and capture and respond to the demands of the growing workforces that are distributed, which can have its challenges. I think the cost of handling a message by picking up the phone or talking to somebody is so high that if you can get people to put it in writing, send the message and have it rapidly responded to, it's a better experience for both sides. Totally, totally. So obviously some of the technologies that you're using at the moment are pretty interesting and again, very current. So there's, you know, some NLP processing, AI and the kind of robotic element of it. When we look at the market as it stands today, there's lots of firms out there that are considering to make a decision around, you know, new technology that can kind of improve 
their efficiency within the firm um, and introduce, you know, cost savings, et cetera. But there's also some hesitancy in terms of, you know, we throw a lot of acronyms at people, right? And, and not really understanding how those solutions solve a problem. So for those firms who are sitting on the fence and thinking AI is a buzzword, NLP is a buzzword, what would you say to those kind of customers to help them be armed with what they need to be able to see the value proposition that products like yours and others in the market are bringing to the table that can really help to solve these problems? I think that AI, that whole category of machine learning and natural language processing can deliver fantastic results, but it's different than the kind of software that people are familiar with in the past. I sometimes like to call it probabilistic software in the sense that the machine is not always going to be right 100% of the time. So let's say from my prior world of accounting, we had to be right 100% of the time. The debits and credits couldn't be off by a penny. And that class of software that did that is was, I think, well understood by people. And they think of software sometimes that way. Machine learning software is different. It tries to understand the message. It tries to read a document. It tries to make a recommendation. And it's good and it's fast and, and it's accurate but it's not 100% accurate. And in, for many of those categories, human beings also aren't 100% accurate. So I think it's a big mental shift to look at a software solution and say, hey, this is going to be kind of like a person. It's good, but it's not perfect. And once you start looking at the software like that and being willing to accept that, you can use it in all kinds of tremendous ways. But if you're fighting the software and saying, hey, if it's not 100% right, I'm just throwing it out, then you're endlessly going to be doing proof of concepts and never actually implementing anything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And is there any kind of best practice recommendations that you would recommend in terms of implementing such technologies, you know, like the White Meadows solution? Like, is there an approach that you think firms can benefit from in terms of implementing software like this? What's the quickest route to success in implementing a solution like yours? I'm a huge believer in just doing it. Don't do the proof of concept. It's demotivating for your team. It's demotivating for the vendor because you know that nobody's really committed to something. It's like, you know, you could do it on a limited scale. You could do it on a thing, but it's, it's real. It's production. It's not a test. And then if for some reason it doesn't work, everybody can back away and cancel and say, forget it. But I think there's a huge psychological difference for everybody involved when something's for real. And we say, we're going to try your product and build it and use it and roll it out to real live users and get away from kind of, I think, the fear factor that causes people to say, endlessly do proof of concepts. And after a while, both teams kind of lose the energy in those kind of projects. So to me, that's clearly a best practice. Yeah, that's a great point. I think sometimes you've got to bite the bullet and just jump in and and make, and make it happen. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. So with your Y Meadows product, is there a particular market that you are focused on to begin with or a particular niche that you're looking at, or is it basically available to anyone? It's available to anyone. You know, we'd love to find a few niches where we can really get a lot of traction. We're working with one law firm helping their legal research team to automate responses to legal research requests. Quite a few of our customers are, I would say, in the customer support teams of their companies. So they're dealing with messages coming from their customers and trying to respond to them rapidly and efficiently. We're open to all kinds of organizations that see a volume of messages where we can really make a difference to improve their operational efficiency. Excellent. 
Thank you for that. So if you could get in a time machine, go back in time and change anything about the last three experience we just talked about with the different products that you were involved in, what would you do differently, if anything? Oh, that's a fantastic question. I'm the kind of person who doesn't live by regrets. I had three, two, you know, prior to Y Meadows, fantastic companies with wonderful, dedicated employees and customers that were totally committed to helping us and became like partners. It's such a fantastic experience working that way. Each time I've taken the learnings from the previous time and helped apply it to the next company. So I don't think I have any regrets, you might say, about how those companies went. I hope the customers who are listening would share that viewpoint. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. So with the roles that you've played, like very high profile, uh, probably intense at times when you're dealing with so many different personalities and customers and all sorts of action in the field. We hear a lot about mental health and how important it is for people in our kind of roles to be really focused on ourselves. It would be really interesting to hear from you in terms of like, you've obviously been through so many different experiences throughout your career. How have you dealt with the stresses of running a company? dealing with some of the challenges that you faced along the way? You know, what, what are the kind of things that you have done? What kind of tips do you have for our audience in terms of how to handle those kind of scenarios so that you have that right level of balance? I would make a few recommendations to people. One is the value of face-to-face -face relationships. Like if I look at my career, I never had a lawsuit with a customer or an employee. And I think a lot of the reason that disputes never were escalated or never became problems is because, you know, I believed in getting on an airplane and meeting with somebody if there was a problem, if the software had an issue, flying over there, looking at it, bringing in the resources and taking care of it. So I think those kind of personal relationships that get built both with customers and the members of your own team, they take effort, but they get you out of the adversarial context that causes that kind of stress that you're alluding to. The second thing that I do is maybe it comes from my religious practices, but I unplug one day a week. Don't look at the phone. Don't look at computers. Don't look at emails. I'm totally off the grid. One day spending time with my family and doing other things and that ability to completely unplug a day a week and maybe other times during the year on occasion too. Backpacking for me is another way of going off grid. Those two help also kind of recharge the batteries. That would be two of my words of advice for other people that are finding, you know, leadership in an organization to be stressful. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I think there's a lot of people that can learn from that. I'm also guilty of being attached to my phone at all, at all, all, all parts of the house. So I'm often uh, told off by my wife to kind of shut it down and put it away. Turn it off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We've recently banned any kind of technology from the dinner table. So, you know, when you're eating, there should be nothing at the table. We're just focused on food and conversation and that's all it should be. That's right. So that you're good for an hour. You have 23 hours more to go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Alan, it's been really wonderful talking to you today. I'm sure our audience, I know I have learned a lot from this experience and just kind of watching what you've done over the years. Before I do let you go, there's a couple of questions that I just want to wrap up with, which I do with all of my guests. So first question is, who has been your most important professional mentor over the years? For me, it was my father. Is a person that I worked with in the beginning and then maybe 25 years together, even at Chrome River, he came to our management meetings and it was a fantastic experience working with him. Excellent. 
And the other question is, you mentioned family and obviously you're a family man and, and you've got your sons in business. What two pieces of advice that you have given your sons to kind of make sure that they start out on the right path of, of their journeys? I think for each of them, before they joined me in the business, they had the chance to achieve success in their careers. And that gives them a lot of that self-confidence to know that they're making the right decisions at the right times. And so people thinking about doing that, I would make that recommendation. I think that there's a big difference that I try to teach people between being decisive and being confrontational. I believe in creating a culture where you explain to people why you're making the decisions, that you're open with the whole company on the direction that you're doing. At our new company now, we have a weekly meeting for the whole company, just for half an hour to keep us all synchronized and share what's going on in our company. And I think that kind of openness really appreciated by everybody. And I, I think that's a core value that I try to believe in in business. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Make sure everyone is connected and you have a transparent message is so important. So I, I love that. Great tips. Alan, thank you once again. I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Really wish you the best of luck with Y Meadows. Hopefully, you know, when you're a little bit further down the journey, you can come back and, and give us an update in terms of how things are going. I'm sure it's going to be a huge success and we're looking forward to seeing that that become so fruitful for you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to uh, join you today. Yeah, li likewise. Thank you, Alan. We hope you found Bim and Alan's discussion insightful. If you like this show, we would love it if you could subscribe on Apple, Google, or Spotify. It would also be amazing if you could tell a friend about the show. We would really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and see you next time on The Legal Helm.